0: Hello again, and welcome back to Farrington Film. Today I've been joined by Sam and another new voice of Oasis Academy Oldham, RE teacher and assistant head of year Shadley-Anneald, for a look at the films of Jordan Peele. Our chat was recorded over a video conferencing app, so I can only apologise for any future distortion or difference in the usual audio quality. That being said, let's get into it. We're going to kick off talking about Jordan Peele. Sam's going to join us in a little bit to talk about what Jordan Peele's going to do in the future, because he's got an eye on uh, The Candyman specifically. So, we're just going to talk through who he is and what he's done so far. So, Jordan Peele uh, he was born on the 21st of February 1979, he's an American actor, comedian, writer, director, producer, best known for his TV work and his film work in comedy and horror. He's well known mainly for his work on Mad TV, where he met his longtime comedic partner, Keegan Michael Key, and they formed Key and Peele. And then they were FBI agents together in Fargo. He's done a lot of different stuff. He's done a lot of kind of tidbits of episodes here and there. And he's gone on to produce such things as the Twilight Zone remake, the Hunters TV show that's on Amazon and Lovecraft County, which has just started on Sky Atlantic. And he did a voice of the bunny in Toy Story 4. So we will get into Get Out. Pun, not necessarily intended. Mm-hmm. So... Get Out is a 2017 American horror film written and directed by Jordan Peele. It follows Chris Washington, played by Daniel Kaluuya, a young African-American man who uncovers a disturbing secret when he meets the family of his white girlfriend, Rose Armitage, played by Alison Williams. It premiered at the Sundance Film Festival on January 23rd, 2017. Theatrically released in the US in February of 2017, um, and it grossed $255 million worldwide, on a 4.5 million dollar budget with a net profit of 124 million making it the 10th most profitable film of 2017. it was named as a number of different places top 10 films of the year and at the oscars that year it was nominated for four awards including best picture best actor for daniel kaluja and jordan peele won for best original screenplay previously worked obviously in comedy as we mentioned before kian peel he said that he felt that the horror and comedy genres are so similar in that so much of it is pacing, so much of it hinges on reveals and that comedy gave him some kind of training for the film. Because again, I think that those kind of things narratively work well together in that with horror, you'll get a reveal, with comedy, you'll get a punchline and the uh-huh. beats tend to be the same. And he met the producer Sean McKittrick, um, by introduce, being introduced by Keegan-Michael Key and they kind of went from there and he wrote the first draft of the script for Get Out in two months, which is no time at all. Impressive, really. yeah. So I rewatched this um, over the weekend as I tend to do with the films that we we go over and things like that. And I totally forgot about that opening scene with the Keith Stansfield character, because for whatever reason, I don't know where I thought it started, but I just I totally forgot that that's how he, he's brought into it. And I think that it comes back to maybe being more familiar with the scenes that are overplayed in like trailers or clip shows or mm-hmm. things like that where you know, he starts bleeding from the nose and he's saying, get out. So here we see his character actually getting kidnapped. That Run Rabbit Run song, actually, that plays when the car picks him up as well. Um, And then what I like straight after that is the cross-cutting that we get between Chris and Rose, because I feel like that immediately lulls us into a false sense of security in that we believe her. And the actress, Alison Williams, has come back and said that she was cast by Jordan Peele as a sneaky gambit to disorient audiences. She said that Jordan always pictured me because it would make people easier for them to trust me. Uh, She was looking for a role that would weaponize everything that people take for granted about her. So she signed on instantly. And that actually white audiences frequently misinterpret her character and her motivations. And they often come back to her and say that, oh, Rose was hypnotised, wasn't she? And she says, well, no, she's just evil. How hard is that to accept? There's no kind Mm -hmm. of shadow to it there's no grey gray area to it she's just evil Um and then people say like oh well clearly she's the victim and actually no she, she's got the photos of her victims and the lives that she's ruined with what she's doing on the wall in that really kind of uncomfortable scene where she's eating cereal she's drinking milk and she's like listening to I've had the time of my life with the trophies on the wall in the background and Jordan Peele's come out and said that the, the use of the song is to do with rose's emotional detachment that like literally she's had the time of her life doing this and then as well that he had he made a weird comment about milk that there's some kind of something kind of horrific about milk think about it that's what we're doing milk is kind of gross maybe <laughs> he's vegan. Gross.
1: i don't know with what his um what his dietary uh preferences are but maybe he's a vegan and the the, the thought of milk is very unsettling isn't it but i don't i don't like milk
0: I mean, I, I wouldn't have it in, a, in its own. I don't think. No. Yeah.
1: Milk. She's well, no, I be... think it's really interesting uh, what you're saying there about Rosie's character, because I definitely know um, a lot of what you're saying definitely rings true to me. And I think thinking back of, over the movie and how it builds, she's definitely like a catalyst for a lot of the a lot of the scenes. You, know, she is there.
0: So as as the travel into Rosie's family house we get the the deer that is kind of the first shock of the film. So mm-hmm. again, this kind of metaphor of escape, and then that foreshadows the taxidermy deer head that's in the same room as Chris later on in the film. Uh, one thing that is often... I found myself laughing at this when I watched it back is this idea of the black experience where the Jordan Peele has used a lot of autobiographical stuff of clearly things that he's been quizzed on in the film, put mm-hmm. that into the narrative. And I just found myself laughing at the way that some of these white characters were responding or acting around chris's character so you know he gets quizzed by police he gets quizzed for his id which actually comes back to the rose thing of we believe in her because she's such an advocate for somebody else is doing wrong by chris that actually i'm here to be supported i'm here for him kind of thing um and again like so when chris is the scene just before the silent auction is being quizzed by all these less red and less educated white people. Uh And you know, the way in is Oh, do you play golf? Uh no, no, I don't play golf. Oh, but I love Tiger Woods. Come on, you're just gonna mention another black person because this black person can't talk about anything else. Oh, I would have voted for Obama again. Really? That's the way that you're going with this. But clearly this is the Mm -hmm. truth. This is the the black experience that we mention. Um the sinking scene is something that comes up quite a bit, especially when we look back on it. So this idea that Again, weirdly, he gets hypnotized by his soon, I suppose, not necessarily soon to be mother-in-law, but he he gets hypnotized by his girlfriend's mum. And for me, that reminded me of um, sleep paralysis, which is something that I get every now and again. Periods of time, it will happen quite a lot where I'll wake up and for whatever reason, I can't move. And every single time I think, yeah, something's really wrong here. And as I get to the point where I really begin to fear that something bad has happened, I move. And for whatever reason, my kind of, I suppose, emotional connection to that is that it always reminds me of essentially seeing myself because he falls away and he can still see himself and he's still kind of conscious and aware of everything, but yet he he's struggling to try and do something about it and he's yep. struggling to try and even help himself. And I feel like that just reminds me of that.
1: For me, that seeing... Um, I remember the first time I watched it I remember thinking it was quite disorientating because I don't know if you can think of anything Adam but when you have out-of-body experiences usually the person who's experiencing it is in the room and they're there and they may like you know in the movies they may scream at the people but they can't be heard they are physically there whereas with this one Yet, like you said, he sinks back. He's sort of, you know, in the sunken place. He's in this dark place. And he's seen everything from a first-person perspective. He can see out of his own eyes. And then, obviously, that idea then links with... When we've watched the whole film, that's what the... What is the other black man? What's his name in the um, film?
0: Uh, Lakeith Stansfield, the actor. Yeah. 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 I think it's called... They refer to him as Logan, don't they? But then he's, I'm sure yeah. he's got... Yeah. Yeah Well different... anyway
1: we, when when we understand the full story that's what he was experiencing in that moment he is forever looking out of his own eyes and not being able to do anything about it which i think is more disturbing more unsettling than having like the ca- character logan just at the side or like, yeah. chris's character just at the side and watching it it's it's definitely more dis- um, what's the word Disabil- disability that's not a word
0: uh uh <laughs> it's definitely worse is what it is yeah <laughs> it's,
1: it's it's unnerving anyway we'll just yeah. leave it as that
0: unnerving that'll do we'll take that um yeah so then the silent auction scene was something that kind of again sprung to mind of i could even use it in my teaching and this is the really annoying thing that you go back and see a scene like this and you just think yeah we'll, we'll go and put that in where the score, the camera work, the mise-en-scene, the body language, everything like that, the performance, the costumes, were basically you've got this silent auction and we get a slow pan down of the camera to reveal that Chris is the thing that's being bidded on, mm-hmm. whereas actually it's supposed to be a masquerade of they're actually playing bingo because they've all got bingo cards in their hands mm-hmm. and the Bradley Whitford character, Rose's dad, is making all these non-verbal cues, these hand gestures, these movements to take people's bids and to ask if anyone wants to bid again. And that really links, I felt, uh, when I was going in with this kind of like a, an analysis head-on. It, it alludes to the unspoken racial prejudice that black people face every day, in that nobody is kind of proactively seeing that they are racist and that they're prejudiced to black people. But actually what tends to happen is that there are some people, either through nurture or just through the way that they are, maybe even nature as well, is that they are subconsciously or even proactively prejudiced against black people. The way that they are going about doing things is prejudiced towards black people and it's only when somebody who is experiencing that kind of prejudice and turns around and says, you're being racist, is the point where they then say, oh hang on a minute, no I'm not, I'm, I'm just doing my job or something like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this it's like if it's not spoken, if they're not physically saying you're bidding on this black person. This black person's going to go for four hundred dollars or whatever yes. it is. Is it? Is it? Does it actually happen? It's the kind of unseen prejudice that seems to keep happening. And is it the no
1: physical evidence as well? Is there?
0: Yeah, there's nothing there, so mm. you can't exactly use it for anything. And again, you can't. It's like in all this stuff that we've seen recently with the black Lives, black eyes matter, and uh, the George Floyd stuff. We can see. That they are prejudiced, we can see that they are, um, I suppose, racist as well. Mm-hmm. But what's never going to happen is that someone's going to walk into a, into like a situation like that and say, "Oh, by the way, I'm racist, so I'm going to treat you like this."
1: Yeah, it's all unconscious bias, isn't it? It's all. Yeah.
0: So we can we, we can never really kind of evidence it and to say that this is what's happening here. And it's just, it's only when you look at something and you say that's racist, that's prejudice, that actually the conversation starts happening. But again, it's it's just, it's weird how it just it ends up being unwritten, but it's the same with any type of prejudice. So again, if it was, you know, um, sexual pre- prejudice or anything like that, if someone was being homophobic, it's not that they'd come out and say, oh, I'm homophobic. I don't like you because I'm homophobic. It's just that if you were to maybe, like, I don't know, come into, come into a kind of a situation with two gay people, um, whether it's men, whether it's women or anything, and the minute that you know that they're in a relationship, if you are prejudiced, that's going to change the way that you act around them. Yeah. But you're not exactly going to verbalise it. I suppose I've kind of gone around the houses a little bit, but the idea is... No,
1: no, 100%, you're on the right lines.
0: Unspoken thing that just keeps happening, and I think that that scene specifically alludes to that a lot. I think the violence... I mean, go on.
1: I was going to say as well, like, that scene, because it happens quite early on, maybe within 40 minutes or so, Um, you don't actually know what they're bidding on. So mm. at first, I think, and I, I don't know if you're going to go on to this, um, about you don't know if they're just bidding on him yeah. become their slave to become like they're going to own him in some way you don't actually know what they're bidding on and i think you know the moment when it all becomes clear is literally at the last minute and you know you're watching that scene and you're thinking so what are they paying for what are they paying for what are they going to be doing yeah it's really
0: because interesting it's not at that, at that point it's weird because all the questions are like and all the kind of comments are oh you're a young and strapping lad or, oh, you know, you're quite fit and things like that. So you don't actually know what's going to happen yet. And you assume, and I suppose the, the kind of the levity in the character of Rod is they're being sort of sex slaves. But actually, yeah. it's, it's like, well, we we see that with Logan, don't we? We assume where he says, like, oh, I've not left the bedroom much. And you think, oh, hang on a minute, you know. Have well, you because the you see them, because
1: you see them treating... Logan in a good way they're not being nasty towards him not being prejudiced towards him he is being treated as one of them which obviously becomes clear later on why you are thinking well they can't be bidding on him to become a slave they can't be doing that what are they like it's really unclear I think at that moment when you watch it for the first time
0: oh definitely and then the kind of horror comes later on when we see uh, I'm assuming it it would be the basement of the house
1: which
0: looks much more nicely decorated than the top of the (laughs) the house. Uh, Yeah, so I think the violence comes out from nowhere a little bit. I think we were expecting some kind of tension to boil over, but similar to a film called Drive that came out in 2011 with Ryan Gosling, it kind of comes out from nowhere, specifically with Rose's brother going to attack Chris. Um, Rod, reporting to the police, harkens back a lot, I felt, to Peele's comedic work. So the idea that we we need a bit of levity because, again, with very few real life situations, there's there's always some form of levity in whatever situation it is that you're in. And I think that every now and again, we need something to kind of break that up a little bit, to kind of take the serious matter that we're we're all willing to talk about. But actually, just give us a breather for a second. Let us, you know, digest the information that we've just Mm -hmm. seen. Let us kind of, you know, take it in from there.
1: But also when we deal with our own grief in normal situations, you know, in normal life, we do kind of have moments of humour and we do use that as a coping mechanism. So I think it's really clever as a writer and as a director to to embed that in, in the film so it's not just all, you know, doom and and and, and um, sadness. Sadness? Scariness? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, doom and gloom. Yeah, yeah doom and gloom. That's
1: the, that's the phase I was looking for. Doom and <laughs> sadness. <laughs>
0: Uh, and then a couple of interesting things as well so t- speaking on alternate endings so there was one that was actually shot and used for the film that was just supposed to be the original ending and then it got changed to the one that actually we see now yeah so chris takes the gun away from rose he chokes her he stops when he hears the sirens and it's like that's all the same as the kind of legitimate ending that we have now the change is that he gets arrested by police the police arrive and they arrest chris Rod visits him in jail. Chris is very defeated. He's very apathetic. He tells Rod that he doesn't remember any of the names of anyone involved because Rod's trying to say, like, remember the names because then we can follow it up and we can kind of get you exonerated and things like that. And he basically, Chris turns around and says, I've stopped it and goes back to his cell. Now, Jordan Peele intended for this to be the original ending to reflect the realities of racism. By the time the production had begun, however, several high-profile police shootings of black people had made made discussion. So in Peel's words, it made the discussion more woke, so the idea that actually people were more aware of this and more familiar of this. So after gauging reception at test screenings, he decided the film needed a happy ending, but felt a moment where the audience believes Chris is about to be re- arrested would preserve that intended reaction. Mm. So again, the, the idea that we believe that he's going to get arrested, and then actually thank God it's Rod that's turned up to to pick him up kind of thing. Um, one thing that I found quite interesting and quite chilling if it actually happened was that if Peel considered other endings, some of which are included on the DVD and the Blu-ray release, in one ending, Rod breaks into the estate, finds Chris, calls out his name, Chris responds and says, I assure you, I don't know who you're talking about.
1: No. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> no. I
0: just for me, I just think I imagine that if like he'd finally got there and you know the the family had kind of overcome and managed to get hold of him and
1: No, that's that's see I like a good I like it's not always good to have a happy ending, but I think that would have disturbed me more. Because then what would happen happened <laughs> to Rod? Would would they well... would they have then just left it there, like with them looking at each other? Would this father have come around the corner and thought, Oh, I'm gonna spot this one up as well? Like they yeah. would have
0: just battered him, but yeah. you know.
1: <laughs> no, I I think the ending is good. I, I just refresh my memory. Does it end on that scene where you know he just gets in the car with his friend, or is there another scene after that?
0: He gets in the car with Rod, and they drive off,
1: I'm and that's it. Sure,
0: I'm pretty sure that's just it. Yeah. yeah,
1: because it that in itself does leave questions open because obviously he has killed. The family,
0: yeah. and
1: he's obviously his DNA is going to be everywhere. So what does actually happen after that? And I think that open ending maybe should be explored in a get out too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just a bit of a follow up, maybe just like a 20 minute kind of follow
0: up. Yeah. Go to all the other houses of where these people are, and uh, yeah. You what know. well,
1: I mean, what happened to, to to Rodney? Rodney Logan. I mean, Look, what happened to Logan?
0: Uh, he's still in, you know, the bedroom. I supposedly. <laughs>
1: That's so, what I mean, Get Out to could feature Chris and, uh, and and Rod going and saving all the black men that they've imprisoned. See, I, yeah. I should be a screenwriter.
0: Just taking a picture of them with the flash on for yes. so them all then to realise, yeah. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> I'm in full agreement with Jordan Peele that it's not a straightforward horror and that I don't necessarily see it as a horror. Um, I think of it more of a social, what I'm calling chiller. So the idea that I'm mixing the horror and thriller conventions together to create a chiller genre, which is something that's come up before. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think we're more in like with that, whereas I think Us, which we'll come to in a second, is more like a a straightforward horror. Um, To go through some quick themes then, so some things that come up in the film that Jordan Peele's referenced himself. So uh, he said, you know, the real thing at hand here is slavery. Um, He stated that the character of Hudson, who is the farthest from being racist, who is the blind... Um, uh, art Disabled
1: man, yeah.
0: So he says that the character of Hudson is the farthest from being racist due to his blindness, still plays a part in the system of racism. And the way that it manifests in the movie is yeah, he's a guy who believes that he's the eye of the better artist, the black artist, but what's separating him from being a success or a failure, which also to me is the commentary on the sentiment I was hearing during the Obama era, where the mythology of a purported advantage of being black in this culture. So again, the idea that you know Obama's in power, so it's good to be black and things like that. Well, also
1: uh, when Obama was in power, um, uh, w- when he got voted in especially, um, a lot of people said, well, that's it, racism doesn't exist anymore. We have a black president, that's it. We're not gonna have any more racist I- issues. And I, w- I was watching um, the uh, Michelle Obama documentary on Netflix and, and she references that. And she said that it was so naive of people to think that mm. because if anything, a black family being in the white house just aggravated and kind of um yeah aggravated people with bigoted views and and she believes now it is worse than ever um in, you know, in modern history so it's a very yeah. very interesting um look at slavery i think
0: because it's not as simple as just saying a black person's in power so there's going to be no more racism <laughs> like exactly what is that? exactly and the final one was the uh, the film depicting the lack of attention on missing black Americans. I thought this was really interesting. So compared to missing white females anyway. So Damon Young, who writes for Slate, said that he stated the film's premise was depressingly plausible because even though black people currently compromise, compromise, comprise 13% of America's population, that actually they are 34% of America's missing population and wow. that there's... A, a reality that exists in that narrative in that a lot of the racial and socioeconomic factors that render black lives the less valuable than those of the white counterparts and I think that's kind of hit home I suppose with a little bit more of the horror of that that this could be real
1: yeah, <laughs> Which yeah. Is frightening. and I mean we see in the movie like the only person obviously that cares is his friend Yeah. like is she and he goes to the police and he says if something's going on and, and the police don't take it seriously so That's yeah it's right. definitely an interesting exploration mm. of
0: that so then to switch a little bit to 2019 and us so once again written directed by jordan peele same producing team so this one starts at the peter winston duke elizabeth moss and tim heidecker and it's about adelaide wilson played by peter Nyong'o, and her family who are attacked by a group of menacing doppelgangers the project was announced in february 2018 and much of the cast joined in the following months it had its world premiere at south by southwest in 2019 released in march of 2019 and it was a commercial and critical success grossing 255 million against a 20 million dollar budget and received praise for peel's direction and screenplay as well as the musical score and neongo's performance so initially after being dismayed by the genre confusion over his previous film Jordan Peele attempted to make us a full-on horror and described it by... And it was described by Rolling Stone as a spill your soda scurry compared to the existentially terrifying Get Out. Mm. Uh, so it was shot in a number of different places. And one thing that um, I think we're both in agreement is good about this is the music um, and yes. that whole... I got a five on it. Um, okay. That was It was used really well in the trailer. And I've got the, the tethered mix... On my uh, kind of Apple Music, um, which is really creepy to just listen to if it comes on shuffle, <laughs> and you're like walking through somewhere, and it's that yeah. kind of the dum dum. Da, dum it's dum. really yeah.
1: good, and it uh, like you said, it's in the trailer, and it I think it really epitomizes the trailer throughout it. And then when you hear it in the I don't know when I hear it in the in the film, it's a really normal moment. Like they're just yeah. in the car, that that they're, they're a family, they're on a road trip, they're going to their vacation, and I think. It was like, oh, this. I thought this was supposed to be airy. Like, I thought this is going to be weird. And I think because cause the, when the song is on, it's yeah. an enormous situation. It kind of disorientates you as the viewer because it was so iconic in the trailer. But, yeah, no, that song, it, yeah, it's, it's really yeah. cool. <laughs>
0: really uh, cool. So, again, I watched this one recently because I kind of went back to it again. And they used the word tether quite early on, a lot earlier than I originally thought, because I, I wasn't, I don't think I was necessarily aware of the word tethered. And then it kind of it almost becomes a motif a little bit because it's something that Red says later on, um, and the whole filming at the pier. So it, they they reference the fact that something is being filmed at the pier at Santa Cruz Boardwalk, and that was Lost Boys. Oh, it was really? That was happening at the time, um, and this this whole thing about eleven eleven. Because I don't know about you, but I've I've looked at a watch and a clock way too many times to see eleven eleven, and it freaks me out every single time. Yeah, uh, so
1: many little um, coinciden- uh, coincidences, and the the eleven eleven definitely shows up. It's on a clock. It's on the baseball game. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's very subtle, but you do pick up on it as, as the audience.
0: So they they make reference to Jeremiah eleven eleven, which mm. is the uh, it says therefore is this is what the Lord says I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape although they will cry out to me I will not listen to them. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) something bad's going to happen to you.
1: (laughs) Something bad's going to happen. I don't know, like, from... Because we don't know why there are people in the subways, in the underground, and I don't know, because he's used that quote, does that mean it's God made two of everyone? And... He knew that this is because God is supposed to be all knowing. I mean, this is my mm. re to coming out and everything, but God is supposed to be all knowing and all powerful, so He planned this to happen for so there to be two of everyone. Is that plausible? Yeah, is that you yeah. know?
0: Yeah, I would say so. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. It's your interpretation. That's fine. That's all it needs mm. to be. Uh, so I annoyed myself at the cinema when I went to watch this because as soon as. Um, wasn't it Adelaide walks into the fun house and sees herself I turned to Amy my wife and said it's not the same girl that walked out there no Um, you didn't I did just just because and I don't know where I've got it from in my head I had the idea that you walk in and you come back out different and I don't know if another film's done it but for whatever reason I just thought it's not going to be that same person
1: and did did that idea stay with you like, throughout the movie, like, were you watching it with that
0: idea in your head? Oh, yeah, like, once it's in my head, it ain't going anywhere. Um, So I was kind of like, well, th- this isn't this isn't right, and then Jason kind of vindicated me at the end when he just stirs at, I suppose, his mum. He's still his mum, but, you know. Is she, it his mum? T- well, yeah, because, obviously, he wouldn't have been born at that point, so it still would have been his mum.
1: Oh, yeah, it is actually his mum. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's actually his mum. Sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah.
0: That would have been weird <laughs> it, yeah. it later on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it is actually his mum. But that's obviously... Yeah, so, I mean, that boy's character is just so weird anyway. And I think at times, before, you know, the, the horror actually kicks in, he is a little bit, you know, a little bit creepy in itself, Yeah. And it's kind of explainable, isn't it? Like, oh, it just, yeah, it's really... um.
0: It's just, just a really strange film. So... so, so- one thing that happens quite a lot, and it sets this up with a kind of really horribly uncomfortable atmosphere, is that Adelaide is essentially on edge all the time. Where's your brother? Where's Jason? Come back before it gets dark. We we see her going to Santa Cruz Beach, and it's like she's got PTSD from having fought in a war on this beach before. Um, something that I thought was going to come up quite a bit. I mean, we mentioned coincidences with the eleven eleven. I thought there was going to be more of that, especially when the frisbee gets thrown and lands on the towel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it turns out, because I only read this this morning, that apparently what that is supposed to mean is because it's a red frisbee that lands perfectly over a blue circle, is that it's supposed to be a kind of foreshadowing of the red-dressed doppelgangers oh. that are about to take over and basically be a perfect fit for taking over, essentially.
1: Oh, okay
0: but I didn't necessarily read that into it. I was expecting more coincidences to happen. I don't know why, yeah. but just more of them. Uh, lots of dark humour, and I think one thing that I quite like is the highest kill count thing. So before, <laughs> they're arguing about who's driving, and it's like, well, I've got the highest kill count. I, I, I did two. Well, no, you did, you know, I got one, and blah, 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 blah. And the, just before that scene, actually, the killing of the, the the white family to the beach boys. Oh,
1: gosh, that is just so brutal, I think. <laughs> It's... But then, like you're going to say now, the, the 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 song, the Beach Boys playing yeah. over it, it's just really disturbing. It's
0: yeah,
1: really
0: yeah. brutal. So it's that thing of contrapuntal sound, so the idea that sound doesn't match what's happening in the scene, and actually that's quite disturbing, harkens mm-hmm. back to things like Reservoir Dogs, where we're stuck in the middle with you playing over um, Michael Madsen chopping someone's ear off. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Elizabeth Moss's character says, Ophelia, call the police, yeah. and I'll play in N.W.A. <laughs> And then we go from there. Uh she no, really...
1: psycho did that a lot, didn't they, as well, when he was like yeah, when he's, yeah, when he's listening to his music and is doing whatever he's doing. Um, yeah, it's a really clever technique that I was watching, sorry to just go on a little bit of a diversion. Gravity was on the TV the other mm. day and I thought the sound I was I said to my partner that because obviously there's no sound in space, I thought it would have been cooler to not have any sound when yeah. there's it's all happening. Um, but he said that he thought it was better that there was sound because it made it more epic and more um Okay. More you know, more more tense. But I don't yeah. know which one would have been better. But I really like what what's that phrase called that you just said? Con-
0: contrapuntal.
1: I'm not gonna try and say that, but that's okay. So that's when yeah. the sound doesn't match up to yeah. the events. Mm, okay.
0: So like you get a happy scene with sad music, a sad mm-hmm. scene. With happy music I think it works better with it being um, a sad scene with happy music because that's really more unnerving I think yeah in the same way that like James Wan does a lot in The Conjuring and Insidious where that you know that tiptoe through the tulip song which is just awful
1: yeah yeah yeah.
0: and it's like you know there's like a there's like a kid ghost dancing and it's just
1: tiptoe through the tulip and he's like oh no don't do that definitely creepy definitely creepy
0: uh, there's a lot of creepy imagery in us that I kind of picked out. So the the body language of the doppelgangers, especially, so mm-hmm. the kind of weird kind of movements that they're doing to try and differentiate themselves from the the normal people. And when the the white family are being murdered, I totally didn't realise that one of the twins was stood up doing a headstand oh, or a handstand, yeah. and then all of a sudden the legs just drop, and I was like, oh my days. The, the,
1: that- I, yeah, just I think I think the cast in general was just really incredible especially um you know the black family i thought that that scene where um the man and the, the the man and the woman are in the bedroom and the boy comes to the door and says there's a family outside and i think that line as well not that there's people outside there's a yeah. family outside there's he family. knows there's two men uh, sorry there's a, there's a man and a woman and there's, there's 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 children he can see that there's a family outside yeah. and then when the husband tries to deal with it, I just think that whole thing again about adding adding levity to the situation, how he tries to deal with it, Yeah. it's funny. It, it is, is funny. like, oh, look at him trying to act like the big man, and then he just like he's not. They're not going. <laughs> I think that's a really clever scene.
0: It's that that scene. So I, I've got a media class who are about to go into year eleven, and we watched the trailer to death, and then we eventually kind of got around and watched the film at the end of the year. One of the one of the students, he always took to the uh, but he's holding the baseball bat and he says something like, um, we can get crazy, yeah. <laughs> he kind of, you know, he kind of took to that and that was his line moving forward for a while, <laughs>
1: yeah. No, that yeah. is, yeah, but yeah, no, it's good, it's
0: good. <laughs> so, my key issue with the film is that I don't think that the ending is strong enough or fulfilling enough as it should have been, mm. and I think that actually everything that comes before it is set up so well that we get the idea that this is a great idea and they had no way of really knowing how they were going to end it, how they were going to kind of come to finish it. Um, but I don't know what else they could have done, to be honest. But for yeah, me, I mean, it's a little bit flat. It, it,
1: is, it was a little bit... I don't know, we kind of wanted more explanation and we didn't get it. But then, like you said, I don't think they knew how to end it. And mm. it was very... Yeah, it was It was slightly anticlimactic. But because the film was so strong, it's still, a, you know, it's definitely a top three for me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think, actually, the actors in this film don't get enough credit because oh, they've all exactly. played two people.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I love Elizabeth Moss' uh, Moss's, um, performance. I yep. think she's really good in it because she's kind of like the when when they're on the beach, she's very, like, you know, I've got the perfect lifestyle, I've got this and I've got that. And then when we switch to the scene just before she gets killed, um she is very, you know, she, she's not very happy. And I think her her acting in it is really good. And then her doppel is really yeah. creepy.
0: The one thing that I read as well when I was reading up about the um, the Frisbee thing was that apparently the reason why Elizabeth Moth's doppelganger doesn't stab Adelaide is because at that point when she's on top of her and she's that close, she realises that that's the tethered version. <sighs> and actually the tethered stick together.
1: Oh, and that's why
0: she doesn't do it.
1: That so, is really interesting. That's...
0: Where she, she's the only one that gets that close to Adelaide to realise that she's tethered.
1: Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I did not know. That.
0: There, there was, I think there was a little bit of a contradiction about the, the twins trying to kill her. But the the argument back was they didn't they never got close enough to realise that that's okay. what's happening. Yeah, so that's
1: really interesting.
0: Yeah, no, I like that actually. There um there's a couple of themes that we can kind of just skim through. A lot of film critics linked the tethered to this idea of urban legends. So you know the idea that something's living in the sewer and all that kind of stuff. The, the tethered jumpsuits and the single glove were apparently an allusion to Michael Jackson, along with, obviously, the Thriller T-shirt that we see with young Adelaide. And Peel has stated that Michael Jackson was the patron saint of duality. So that's why he's using him, the idea that, you know, you've got two kind of personalities here or two kind of different, I suppose, personas. And then linking to the Jeremiah 1111, 11, uh, the film critic Rosie Fletcher said that with Jeremiah warning Jerusalem that facing destruction due to false idols... It was expressed that the film's characters also worship the wrong things.
1: Oh okay.
0: Such as Ophelia the virtual assistant, which I thought was a ah. weird, weird kind of latching onto that. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then obviously one of the it says one of the central themes in Oz is that we can do a job a good job collectively of ignoring the ramifications of privilege.
1: Yeah.
0: And kind of assume this is the thing about, you know, rights and privileges that people are maybe born into certain things and take it for granted. And you know what what kind of conversation commentary do we get out of that? We usually when we do these auteur um director episodes and when we do the franchise episodes, we usually talk about which one's our favorite, which ones have our uh, uh, do we do we least like or sometimes even use the word worst. We're not talking about two bad films here, but no. i I prefer us, I think, to get out. and I think I prefer it because, I like the idea that it's a more of a straightforward horror, and I just like. I think there's more levity in it. I think there's more kind of dark humor in it that I can get on board with. It's just a shame about the ending.
1: Yeah, so I think um, when I was preparing for this, I read something along the lines of horror movies. Horror movies kind of put on or show what the generation is scared of. So in the 50s, you had like the kind of Frankenstein, you know, alien monster type things. That's what the society was scared of. 70s, you had the Lone Stalker. Going into the noughties, you had like, um, you know, bloody um, zombie movies type thing. And I think now, um, definitely after kind of 2010s, we're moving into kind of more politically charged, movies horror movies where we're kind of examining society's prejudice and society's bigot bigotryness i think that's another made-up word Um, bigotry we'll
0: go with that (laughs) thank
1: you and i think for that reason i i I think they're both incredible movies i think they're both really well acted and and well directed but i think get out just nudges it slightly and i know what you're saying about it's not like a true horror movie it's it's more of a chiller um I just think it's really scary, that idea that that they've found this technology that can, you know, make use of someone's best elements and kind of switch bodies and stuff. And I just think it it is really unnerving. But then I feel like I'm doing a disservice to us by saying that Get Out is better. I think they're both incredible movies.
0: Yeah, it's really difficult at this point to kind of go, what's Jordan Peele's best and worst film when he's made two? As exactly. a director.
1: but he but, is. I, I I know that obviously Sam's going to move on to to his doubts about Candyman, and I'm going to talk about Antebellum. But um, he definitely needs to do more rather than just producing because I think he's had two good movies, and I think he needs to really solidify his name and 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 make make sure that people kind of respect him for what he can and and could do.
0: Definitely. So looking into the future then for Jordan Peele as a director. His own views so far in the films that he's made, as we mentioned with Get Out, is that he's never really seen it as a horror, but we're positioning him somewhat as a horror auteur because he's coming in in the kind of space of these horror-themed episodes where we've discussed Saw, we're going to go on and do a horror top ten, things like that. So, Jordan Peele himself has come out and said, I'm such a horror nut that the genre confusion of Get Out broke my heart a little. I set out to make a horror film and it's kind of not a horror movie. As a horror fan, I really want to contribute to something in that world. It's a horror movie that has a satirical premise as the film deals with racism, but it's a very personal story and that it quickly veers off anything from being autobiographical. But then he came out and said that Us is pretty much a straightforward horror film. So think about what he's doing in the future. So in 2021... He is acting in a film called Abruptio, which I'm not sure is, is a horror or anything like that. And then a film called Wendell and Wild, which is also down as a producer for. Shadley, you know about a film that is attached to a producer called Antebellum?
1: Mm-hmm. That was supposed to be released in uh, August, but obviously it's been postponed because of something that's going around. Um, It's, it's pitched as a horror th- thriller, uh, but it's not, Directed by him, he's just producing it. It's directed by Jared Bush and Christopher Wrenz, um, and it stars Janelle Monet, which I don't know anything else that she's been in. I think she's been in a couple of things, but not not to, to the uh, to, to my mind. Um, it says, kind of the the blurb of it is. Um, successful author Veronica finds herself trapped in a nightmarish reality during the underground railroad period and must find a way to break free again playing with this idea of breaking free from something that's happening to them and and then being kind of a submissive counterpart and then becoming more active the trailer is really really disturbing and from the trailer it switches between um modern day imagery and kind of I don't know, I want to say 18th century imagery, but I might be wrong about that, but it's flipped between old and new and it's really disorientating as the viewer and I've been so excited for this movie since it came, since the trailer came out um, so I'm just really excited to see it, I'm really interested in it.
0: Does it look like Get Out On Us in terms of like tonally or is it very much something that maybe he's just putting his name to to help somebody else
1: get their film made? To me it looks more like Us with like right. the kind of how the trailer looks um but i don't know how much of a hand he's had in it just that he's produced it um but his name is definitely attached to it kind of on the poster and it does come up with his name obviously in the trailer um but i don't know how much of a hand he's had in it so that'll be interesting to see
0: and sam you've kept an eye on the uh, candyman remake
2: yeah um so obviously uh, i think he's going for a spiritual sequel was jordan peele's quote When it came to um, this new uh, reimagining of the series, Uh, I'm a big fan of the original series, which um, Tony Todd was always the lead actor in. Uh, Jordan Peele, I was excited when I heard he was taking it over. Um, And then I've heard a few things since that have made me a little bit worried about how it's going to pan out. Um, A few screen tests went down like a lead balloon, I believe. And I've read a couple of the leaks. I know it's not the finished article, but it's very difficult now to change a lot of the filming that's already happened. I think it's Nia Del Costa, I think, or De Costa that's uh, doing it. I don't know, like you said, if it's similar to Shads, where he's producing and he's putting um, her as director and he's, he's using his name to promote it. But I don't think that because it's such a big um, horror character. I think he wrote the screenplay for it. Um, the, bi- the biggest worry I have is that, I know we've discussed Jordan Peel today and I think one of the best qualities he does is what Shad's mentioned earlier on about um, bringing this modern idea of politics into it and that's fine I think that's really fine because that, that's obviously some of the things the way horrors are going and that was sort of what he does I don't think that'll that'll work for me in this reimagining of the character um and some of the things I've I've mentioned to you ads about some of the leaks I've heard which I'm not going to go into because we don't know if the the true yet but if that is what came out of the screen test it would be a disappointment from my point of view um, and I am eagerly looking forward to seeing how they do this. The trailer um, looked pretty quirky, I, that got me on board, it was a little bit different um, and I liked the idea of bringing a character from the past which was the baby in the 1992 film is now a grown adult and that was a really cool idea so when I seen the trailer I thought this would be really good and then since the leaks have sort of led it down a different path so um, let's just see, because I know Jordan Peel does. He's 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 um, he does uh, really twists at the end, and from what I've heard, he tries to do the same in this sort of thing with the screenplay. But it, it's not the twist I wanted, anyway. From what I've from what I've read, so I don't know whether to look forward to it. I was, but now I'm a little bit apprehensive. So we'll see. Um, but it looks like again, it it might be more than what Shadza would probably maybe appreciate. It, it, from what I've read, it's really political um so i don't know if any of you've seen the original one but um it does have political undertone in there but it's not like it's not pushing a political um it's not pushing a political story really but this one sounds like it is so let's see what happens
0: yeah i've not seen the original um is is tony todd in this one
2: so the biggest issue i had is you have to bring him back you have to and then they said for ages that he isn't then last minute it was really strange cuz they said yes he's confirmed in And then since they've spoken to the director and her quote was, um, it's been the the press have sort of, um, what's the word? They've sort of, not sensationalised, but they've they've changed it. It's not what you think. So from the leak, I can sort of read that he's in a very small cameo. It's almost like a little nudge to the original. It's not even like he's in it as a character. I think they just give it a slight nudge. And I think his face might be in it for literally all of seconds so that that plays into the the leak i told you about ads um yeah. which was really disappointing massively disappointing it's all good reboot in it if you want to reboot it but if you're going to continue it i don't i don't understand what a spiritual um sequel is and um, that's what they're addressing it as a spiritual sequel i mean that makes no sense it's almost like it's either a reboot or it's or it's linked to the original story a spiritual sequel means you want to have ties to the original you want to cheat yeah. you want to have ties to the original but you want to sort of try something really new, but you want the backdrop of the the, the sort of fan base to to sort of back it a little bit. Yeah. I don't really like that. I either go full-heartedly and say it's a reboot and take the hit, or say it's linked to the first one and make it linked. But that's just me. I might be wrong, but I think it's a, a wrong way to sort of pitch a, a, the new film. A spiritual sequel doesn't do it for me. I don't like that quote.
0: Yeah, I agree with you because I think, there are, There should only be two ways of doing things either you remake it and it's your complete new take on something that already exists or you do something similar to what jurassic world did yeah. and it's a sequel it links to the other ones and we're going to make reference to the other ones as well exactly. i know that when we had our chat about it briefly that two things first of all was that i feel the same way about what you told me that I did about the 2016 Ghostbusters film. and I've got nothing wrong with that film. I don't mind it at all, but don't throw in the original Ghostbusters in really throwaway cameos. Make reference to who they are and have them be, you know, these were the people that were doing it in the 80s. They're a little bit old now, but we've taken over yeah Um, and then the second thing was the whole thing about introducing politics in cinema is that i can get on board with it and i can get on board with metaphors for things like we've spoken about metaphors for things for get out and us and things like that but i go to cinema a lot of the time for escapism and what i don't want to do is come out of my house having seen the six o'clock news go into a film at eight o'clock at night and it just be yeah this film's about the thing that you've just watched but we're going to call it Candyman. we're going to call it something yeah else, you know yeah there's a, kind of, there's a time and a place for it and i suppose sometimes that is in cinema and we made reference to when we were talking about it in kind of like our sort of not recorded chat sam about yeah. black clansman in the hours i, I like black clansman as a film really really enjoy The one thing that I don't think it actually needed, but the one thing that for whatever reason people felt the need to kind of reference was all this contemporary footage that he threw in at the end. It's like, I know from watching this film and thank you for educating me on the things that happened in, I think it's the seventies with the Ku Klux Klan and all that kind of stuff. They are abhorrent, they are awful. I've got just enough of that kind of racial fill from them. And I, I can come to my own decision on that. You don't need to show me all this contemporary footage to tell me that racism is still rife because I see it on the news and I don't need it in something that maybe I've come out of my way to have a bit of a kind of, not necessarily shut my brain off, but relax a little bit and get a little bit of engagement out of and escapism escaping out of. Um, but yeah, I think the three of us can agree that we're looking forward to maybe what he does next as a director, yeah. although seemingly he's going down the route of, putting his name to a lot of stuff which mm-hmm. to be fair he's got stock with it now he's an oscar winner so we'll see what comes next i suppose yep yeah, yep yeah, yep yeah. thank you very much for listening to this episode thank you again to sam and chad leah we're back next week as we share our top 10 horror films you can help support firing film by following us on twitter at firing film by liking us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash film and leaving a five-star review at your favorite podcast provider stay safe look after each other and i'll see you next time We're both back next week along with Chad Lear who joined us for the Jordan Peele episode and Joel as we share our top 10 horror films.